Welcome to the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. If it's whispered, we hear it. If we hear it, then we'll tell you about it on the podcast. My name is Dara McDonald of MLB Trade Rumors, and with me this week is my colleague, Anthony Franco. How's it going, Anthony? I'm doing well, Dara. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday, October the 24th, and it won't be out until Wednesday. So it means you, dear listener, you know the World Series matchup. Anthony and I do not, so do not spoil it for us. We don't know who wins that NLCS Game 7 yet. But we do know who won ALCS Game 7, which was the Texas Rangers going to the World Series for the first time since 2011, and I believe the third time in franchise history. We did not see this coming a few months ago, or well, a couple months ago we probably saw it coming because they were playing very well, but it's uh, easy to forget that they weren't really a favorite coming into the season, right, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, I think I was looking back at our uh, preseason projections and I don't think any of us picked Texas even as a playoff team much less as a World Series contender. I checked this morning. Um, yeah, n- none of us had them in the playoffs, yeah. Yeah, it was clear to me by like May that we were we whiffed on that. Uh, I don't think we were alone. Uh, most people probably didn't envision the Rangers taking a jump from like mid 60s wins, I believe, to uh 90 and eventually a pennant. But yeah, it was just by April it was very clear that they could really hit, and the top of their rotation was good, uh, even after they lost to Grom. And it was just a matter of could they hold on to enough leads to both win the AL West, which they ultimately fell a little bit short uh, at the end of the season, um, and then into the playoffs. And uh, turns out they can. Yeah, 60 wins and 102 losses in 2021, and then 68 and 94 they went in 2022. So a massive jump. I mean, we obviously knew that they had spent a lot of money, um, but it's still a huge jump to go from 68 to 90. So impressive stuff there. And it is a very interesting case. You know, I've heard some people speculating that maybe there would be a backlash on aggressive spending because, you know, as of a couple months ago, it wasn't looking great for the big spenders because you had Mets, Yankees, Padres came up short, didn't uh, make the playoffs, whereas some smaller market clubs like the Rays and Orioles making the playoffs, Brewers as well. And so some were saying that uh, there was going to be a sort of shift in offseason strategy. But here we are. Uh, I mean, we don't know. Maybe the, the Diamondbacks will upset the Phillies. I don't know as of this recording. But Texas basically turned around their whole franchise with spending, right? I mean, I think obviously bringing in uh, Semyon and Seager, you know, they just completely brought in like an all-star level middle infield. I think Seager's going to be the runner-up in AL MVP balloting. And they spent a lot on the rotation. I do think that they had a pretty good internal core that they kind of timed the Seager and Semyon additions right as those guys were about to take a step forward. You know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of talk about Adolis Garcia uh, and how good he's been basically over the last three years, kind of out of nowhere after being DFA a couple times. And Jonah Himes stepped up and, and broke out last year. And they had Josh Young come back from the shoulder surgery. And he's very good. Leody Tavares has taken a step forward this year. So I don't think it's it's not like they built the entire team via free agency. They had a really good farm system that was 
sort of reaching the crescendo right at the time that they struck and brought in star players. And ultimately, they hit on their free agent additions uh, in a way that those other teams that you mentioned basically haven't, at least early on. Yeah, player development is obviously a part of it, too. I was being a, a bit too simplistic. But, you know, they would not have got to 90 wins just with their internal options. They needed the Seager, the Semien. You know, they needed to bring in the pitching staff. You know, it takes aggressiveness to to take steps forward like this. So kudos to them for getting in. And uh, I hope that they can win the World Series because, you know, the franchise has been around for a long time. They've never won. The greatest moment in franchise history so far is Ruben Neto Dor punching Jose Batista in the face. And for that to be your franchise highlight after like 50 years or whatever, that's obviously not great. So hopefully they can get something better than that next week. But yeah, you mentioned Garcia, and obviously he's the the talk of the town this week because he had a monster series, got MVP. This is a fascinating thing for us, uh, you know, because what we do at MLB Trade Rumors, we write, you know, during the season, it happens multiple times a week where some guy clears waivers. And, you know, a lot of them don't get a lot of attention because they, you know, are in some cases never really uh, heard from again. But this goes to show you that, you know, sometimes... There's such a huge difference between what a guy's potential is and actually reaching that potential. Uh, I think it was like April of 2021. I want to say I was looking at it last night. April of 2021, Adolis Garcia went through waivers unclaimed. So that means all 30 teams had a chance to pick him up for nothing and passed. And now here we are, you know, two and a half years later, and he's ALCS MVP. So it's like a wild swing you know you never know right yeah i think one of my favorite uh little underrated aspects of doing this job is just the fact that because we write about all these minor transactions uh every once in a while you'll see our old articles brought out when one of these kind of situations happens where it's like i saw people clipping from steve's post on garcia a couple years ago and it's not like steve had i don't think had any idea that garcia was going to be a great player either but um, just by virtue of the fact that we cover all the minor stuff, um, we're kind of the the go to uh, for people when they they look back at like, oh, let's find this old transaction that nobody thought was important that turns out it was a couple years later. But yeah, I mean, he's obviously a great success story. Credit to him. Uh, at the time, you know, it was like he was hitting for power in AAA, but his walk and strikeout numbers in AAA were horrible. And then the 2020 season, there was no minor leagues. And so he was like in his late 20s by then and hadn't really established himself at the major league level. So I totally get why no team was willing to give him a 40-man spot at the time. But within a couple months, he was an all-star and took strides both in his approach and continued to obviously has huge power that he's continuing to tap into. So really fun story. Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, it's obviously much more fun when the guy overcomes the adversity. It's a much more inspiring story than the ones that don't make it. So kudos to him. Kudos to the Rangers. We'll see what happens. Like I mentioned, as of recording, we don't know who they are going to be facing. So we're going to avoid talking about the Diamondbacks and Phillies too much right now. Um, turning to the other team in the ALCS, the Astros couldn't pull this one out. They've had much postseason success in recent years, but didn't quite make it this time. What do you think is ahead for them this winter? Uh, well, potentially a managerial change. Um, the Athletic reported uh, on Monday night that Dusty Baker had been telling people within the organization that this is probably going to be his last season. Baker himself 
declined comment on that. He said that he hasn't made any decisions yet about his future, but um, it seems like it's possible that he'll be ready to take on some kind of less demanding everyday role. And even if Baker decides that he wants to continue managing his contracts up and, you know, you never really know with Houston because Jim Crane has been uh, volatile, I would say, uh, with contracts for his executives. But I think the team itself is is still in really good shape. Uh, they're not really going to lose any key position players this year. I mean, Hector Neris might opt out, but that's about it on the pitching side. I think the starting rotation is probably a little more flimsy than it had been in the past couple of years. But ultimately, I still think this is a team that's positioned as like a top five or so team going into 2024. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, they are obviously... It's a strong core. They've made the ALCS. I think this was their seventh year in a row in the ALCS, which is nuts. And yeah, I think the the interesting thing for them, there's there's no reason to think that they will have a significant drop off in 2024. I think the bigger question mark is after that because it, both Altuve and Bregman are free agents after 2024, and there's been some hints that uh, the organization kind of wants to get some extensions done, particularly with Altuve. So that'll be the big question. Everything still points to them still being a very, very good team in 2024, but how they approach the extensions and whether they get extensions done should give us some clarity into the long-term picture. I mean, it seems like they're going to get something done with Altuve. Do you have any reason to suspect that it won't? No, I, I mean, it clearly seems like they want to, and I can't imagine him playing anywhere else. So I think that'll be easier, uh, easier done than Bregman. Right. Well, Astros, obviously, it's uh, not great for the fans. Uh, the bitter taste of the loss when we came so close, but at the same time, lots to feel good about there. It has been a great run. It should continue next year. Um, you mentioned Dusty Baker. There is some uh, musical chairs happening with the various managerial openings. I saw a report on MLBTradeRumors.com this week which said that the Giants are interested in Bob Melvin to be their manager. Now, this confused me because Bob Melvin is the manager of the Padres, is he not? <laughs> um, yeah. How can he manage two teams at once? Perhaps not for much longer uh, with San Diego. It's uh, it's a weird situation. I, I don't really understand why the Padres would announce a couple weeks ago that Melvin was coming back and that whatever rift had existed between uh, president of baseball operations, AJ Preller and Melvin was something that ownership and clearly Preller and Melvin themselves, at least publicly were saying that they believe they could work through. And there was no indication uh, from ownership that they didn't believe that that situation would be tenable going into 2024. And then a couple of weeks later, it's like, well, we'll let you interview for the giants job. And if you leave, Dennis Lynn uh, at the Athletics said yesterday, like they probably won't even demand much compensation, and they're just going to be sort of happy to let him walk out the door and get a fresh start. And so I don't really understand why, if that was the case, that they were willing to let Melvin go without demanding much in return, that they wouldn't have made the managerial change a couple of weeks ago. Um, beyond the fact that if Melvin resigns as opposed to being fired, they can save his salary. Do you have any thoughts on? What would be the reason for that disconnect? I suppose, uh, yeah, it is a strange situation. I suppose the salary could be a factor. I mean, there have been reports that uh, 
the Padres are looking to cut payroll this year. And it's not – here's the thing. I'm not smart enough to understand this thing. Uh, but uh, the report came out that the Padres were looking to cut payroll, not just like – by their own choice, right? It's not just like uh, the ownership was like, we got to cut it back because it's not working or whatever. There was some report that they were out of step with uh, Major League Baseball's like uh, debt to income ratio or something like this. I'm sure I'm not using the right terminology, but it seems like they got some guff because they were spending like crazy and then their broadcaster uh, went kaput. So they lost all their TV money. And so it seems like to me from the outside, again, this is just me like trying to read the tea leaves here. I don't have any inside info, but they were spending way more than they were bringing in already because even before the TV deal went out, everybody was like, where are the Padres getting all this money? Aren't they supposed to be a small market team? How are they signing all these deals, all these extensions? And then the broadcaster went under, so they lost their TV money. So that made the financial situation even more precarious. So now I think it's kind of like penny pinching time in san diego at least not penny not like they're going to blow the whole thing up but at least that like you know if the manager is willing to leave and it saves you four million dollars you say okay fine uh good luck to you does that seem plausible Uh, it's better than any explanation that i have although i mean again four million dollars is a lot for a normal person or even for for me manager for an mlb team it's it's not that significant even if they let Melvin go and hired a manager for a quarter of that or half of that, um, that's like the amount of money that they would save by non-tendering Tim Hill or Austin Nola. Like it's not a huge change uh, on the overall balance sheet. So the whole situation seems still a, a little weird to me. It's tough to parse from the outside without uh, being in the building. Yeah. Well, I guess it's also like, I mean, the reports are that the relationship was not great and they, so it was, sort of like borderline as to whether they were going to make it work or not and so if the giants come calling and they're like hey we got a solution for you it's you get rid of the (laughs) contentious relationship and you save a couple bucks everybody wins theoretically um but that would create a new managerial vacancy if melvin does leave there's five or six depending on what's going on with baker depending on what's going on with craig council there's uh there's a game of musical chairs going on We'll see how it shakes out. I mean, I think teams like to have it settled before the offseason, ideally, so that uh, they can talk to free agents with a manager in place, so at least the player knows what they're stepping into. But that's not always the case. So we'll see. Turning to the player side of things, there's been some whispers of late with the offseason approaching about whether or not Tyler Glasnow is available or not. I think there's compelling arguments on both sides Where do you come down on this one, Anthony? So I lean towards no um, for a few reasons. At the time that a lot of the reason for the Glasnow trade speculation is that, well, it's the Rays, they don't spend a ton of money, and Glasnow is slated to make $25 million next year in what would be his final season before free agency. Uh, So on, on paper, it makes sense that he would be the guy that people point to as like, oh, well, the Rays are going to want to move him to clear some payroll room. The issue that I have with that is that Glasnow's extension was signed in August of 2022. So it's not like this is a deal that they signed that was an early career extension from five or six years ago that's finally reaching its end. This was like 12 months ago or 14 months ago that they decided that they were willing to accommodate $25 million salary for a pitcher who at the time was like just coming back from Tommy John surgery. 
And he was already arbit- arbitration eligible for this year. So it wasn't about extending it for 23. It was the point of the extension was to lock him in for one more season in 24. And since that time, all that's really changed for them is they lost Shane McClanahan to Tommy John. Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs underwent surgeries that will at least add some uncertainty for next year. I think Springs is probably going to be out until at least midseason. Rasmussen might be back um, for the start of the season, but it's another arm surgery for a pitcher who's had a few of those. And so the rotation is in worse shape than it was at the time that they extended class now. Um, President of Baseball Operations Eric Neander has talked about the fact that Tampa Bay could kick payroll up a little bit this year. They're going to have to essentially just to retain all the players that they have already. And so I just, it seems incongruous to me to sign Glass under this extension not that long ago, and then look back at a pitching staff that's worse than it was at the time you signed the deal and say, well, now we can't afford him. But I think you're probably more um, on the fence about this one than I am. All, all, everything you said makes sense. Uh, they do need pitching. And I, you know, I did the chat with Rays fans uh, last week or the week before, and there was lots of questions about Glasnow trades. And I had the same reservations about the trade as you did uh, in the sense that the rotation already looks flimsy, even with Glasnow in it. If you subtract him, it looks even more flimsy. The way that I can see it is you mentioned the payroll. So they have never had an opening day payroll higher than $80 million, according to, um, you know, Mark Topkin had a piece about their payroll in the last couple of weeks. And he, I think he put 79 as their highest. Different websites have different numbers as their highest, but somewhere in the ballpark of $80 million. They're currently projected with their arbitration class to get to 120 next year. And so if they are willing to raise the payroll, then they can fit everybody in. But you know, precedent suggests that usually they have a willingness to deal their more expensive players in order to keep the payroll down. So even if they are, let's say the ownership signs off on a $20 million increase to $100 million, that still means they have to cut $20 million out of the budget. And that's like tough to do with who they have. I mean, like, you know, you can move Manuel Margot, that, that gets you like 12 out of there you know brandon lau i think he's only uh set to make like i don't know six or seven you know like there are ways to do it without moving glasno but glasno's 25 is the easiest way to like cut that budget if they need to and that creates a new problem of the pitching but then you know i had somebody propose a question to me in the raise chat of uh, a trade there were other pieces involved but Glasnow going to the Mariners and a controllable, cheaper pitcher coming back, you know, maybe Logan Gilbert or Brian Wu or something like that. And that at least felt plausible to me. That felt like a raise trade. And that felt like something the Mariners could consider because, you know, the Rays have been doing this for years where they trade the expensive guy, they get back the cheaper guy and then figure out to make how to make the cheaper guy just as good as the expensive guy they just gave up. Um, does something like that feel at all plausible to you or more plausible, I suppose? Um, I mean, I could see a Wu or a Bryce Miller. Uh, it would be hard for me to see the Mariners giving up Logan Gilbert um, for one year of basically anybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, sure, the calculus changes if somebody's willing to give you a major league ready starting pitcher, presumably one that's worse than Glass now, um, as part of the package. But again, I mean, it's 
still you're sort of looking at the the rotation outlook at that point. It would be maybe a trade possibility. You'll have Zach Eflin and Aaron Savali. Shane Boss is coming back from Tommy John surgery, so that's kind of uncertain, but he's an upside play. They converted Zach Littell from relief to starting pitching late in the season. He was okay. Uh, Taj Bradley's a former top prospect who wasn't particularly good as a rookie. So they'll have options, but there's not a ton of certainty there, even less so than um, in typical race seasons. I know that they're kind of famous for sort of patching things together, but it's just, it's hard for me to see this as a contending pitching staff if they trade glass now. And if they don't reallocate the money, which ostensibly would be, uh, you know, the whole point of trading glass now is to save payroll. If they don't dip back into free agency to replace him, then I think this is a really questionable rotation. Yeah, no, it's true. It's not, it doesn't look great. Uh, even with Glasnow in there, there's lots of question marks. I think, uh, Shane Boz has either never or only barely reached a hundred innings in a season before and coming off the entire missed campaign. It's going to be hard to count on him for much. You know, you hope he can, but uh, you don't want to be reliant upon it because who knows? So yeah, definitely flimsy there. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It's very interesting. One of the more interesting borderline cases where you can, I can see the arguments on both sides for moving or holding. Neither is a perfect argument, which I guess is why it's interesting. Um, so we had another uh, off-season outlook on the site this week. Thank you so much for checking those out, folks. We put a lot of work into those. Um, I wrote the outlook on the Dodgers, and I was shocked when I did the payroll numbers. We put all the like payroll stuff up at the top of each off-season outlook post, and... I was stunned to find out that they are set to be $100 million under the luxury tax right now for 2024. So they can do anything, can't they? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's part of that is because they've been reluctant uh, relative to their spending habits of making particularly long-term commitments. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are the exceptions. They're the guys who are on the books for a while. Beyond that, it's just Chris Taylor, who's guaranteed, has a guaranteed salary for 2025. So it really does open up a ton of room, uh, both in the short term. And if they wanted to make, I'm sure they will make a run at Otani. If they manage to get Otani, you know, they could consider extensions for a Walker Bueller or Will Smith. There's a ton of different ways that it could go. Um, I'll sort of defer to you on this since you wrote the outlook, but do you have any specific fits beyond the obvious Otani connection who you think they should and will pursue this offseason? Uh, I mean, starting pitching is the most obvious thing, uh, especially if Kershaw doesn't come back. I mean, I don't know if we'll have any clarity on that for a couple months because it seems like the way he spoke about it, he seemed less confident about his return than in other seasons, but we'll see. But yeah, he's gone. Uh, Julio Arias is gone. Dustin May, who knows? Uh, Tony Gonsolin is out for the year with Tommy John, I think the whole year, or maybe uh, at least most of it. Walker Bueller is coming back from missing the entire 2023 season with Tommy John. And so there's just so many question marks there. And then even if they get Otani, which I 
I mean, I would probably pick them as the favorite, but he's not pitching in 2024 either. So as of right now, the rotation is, you know, Walker Bueller, who's coming off uh, the entire missed 2023 season. And then assuming they don't pick up Lance Lynn's option, then you have uh, all these guys who either are still rookies or were rookies in 2023. So it's, you know, Miller and Grove and Sheehan and all these guys who, uh, Pepio, all of these guys who showed varying degrees of encouraging performances in 2023, but you don't really want to be relying if you're a comp- if you're spending a bunch of money and trying to compete, you don't want to have a rotation of all these guys who just you know made their debut or just had their first taste of meaningful major league baseball action in 2023. So I could see them signing two, three starters so if they if they do go after otani you could still make a case for them to you know get one of the like top tier starters as well you know the snell or jordan montgomery or aaron nola or yamamoto one of those top tier guys but then you know there's sort of the tier that uh maybe is a little bit less with like uh eduardo rodriguez and sunny gray and then there's like you know more even more uh, more veteran guys who are probably going to have short-term deals, you know, maybe uh, Hinjin Ryu and Kenta Maeda and Seth Lugo and bounce-back candidates like Lucas Giolito and uh, Marcus Stroman. I could see them getting like one from each level and they have enough money to do that even with Otani, I think. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw lots of rumors this winter connecting the Dodgers to basically every starting pitcher that's available. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. The rotation is the big question. And like, yeah, I mean, you name checked almost the entire free agent class, but I, it's because they could do pretty much anything. I do think one interesting question that they'll face right at the start of the offseason is whether to issue the qualifying offer to J.D. Martinez, um, who is eligible for it. He's never received it in his career. And he spent the entire season with the Dodgers this year. And had his best offensive showing since 2019. He had 271, 321, 572 with 33 homers in 113 games. Uh, you know, in a typical season, I think this would be a pretty easy call for them to make the QO uh, just because of how well he hit. And it's it's a one-year commitment, so it's you're not really worried about the age. Now, the obvious problem is that Martinez barely played the outfield this year. He's essentially just a DH. And if he accepts the QO, then you've locked in a salary north of $20 million for a DH before you have the opportunity to talk with Otani. And you're not going to be able to trade Martinez until the middle of next season. So you're either letting him block your path to Otani, which I, I can't see, or you're essentially just conceding that that $20 million investment wasn't... It was either you're going to have to shoehorn him into left field where he's not really a good fit, or you're just conceding that you're overpaying for like a, a high quality bench bat if you manage to get Otani. So I, I think that they probably won't do it, but it's maybe the most interesting uh, question that they'll face in the first couple of days of the offseason for me. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, when we this came up when because we were talking about uh, various free agents for the top 50, which is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. But uh, I sort of mentally had categorized uh martinez as uh a slam dunk qo recipient just based on performance but uh i didn't think about the you know clogging up the dh spot until you brought it up and i think that is a great point and probably you know maybe they can't take the risk (laughs) 
Okay, let's get to your questions here. We have an audio question from Owen. Hello, this is Owen again from Tallahassee. So uh, the Seattle Mariners had a very had a pretty disappointing season last year after playoff expectations and winning their first playoff series for the first time in almost twenty years. I just wonder if you're the if you're the GM of a team, what kind of position group do you really target in free agency or or during the trade to improve this team? and uh, get them back to maybe competing for a championship. Okay, what do you think, Anthony? What should the Mariners do? Uh, well, I mean, second base, to me, is is the big question. Uh, you know, Josh Rojas was a little bit better there than what they received out of Colton Wong, who was basically unplayable in the first half. But it's not a great offseason for middle infield help. We've talked about that a few times, but... I think they'll have to do something at second base, whether that's turning to the trade market or going after a, a non-tender candidate. I'm not even convinced that they'll tender Rojas a contract. We'll see. Uh, that and then something in the corner outfield because Teoscar Hernandez is going to be a free agent. And left field itself was a little bit of a question mark. Jared Kelnick was better than he's been, but he still wasn't great. And then he missed some time because he, I believe he broke a bone in his foot, um, like kicking a water cooler or something like that. Yeah, I think and, that's right. Uh, so I, I think that they'll need some sort of outfield help, even if just to replace Hernandez uh, alongside Julio Rodriguez. So those are the two that really stand out to me. Um, but I think it's the lineup in particular, or the lineup in general in those positions in particular. Um, well, I I mean, yeah, re-signing Teoscar Hernandez is probably their best bet. But um, we also have a question here from Ryan, who is... Wondering on the effectiveness of replacing Ty France or Eugenio Suarez at the corners, because both had kind of down years. Do you see anything there? Yeah, I mean, I could see either one of those guys being moved. Uh, Suarez in particular, I, I think, is he's always a guy who just feels like he's kind of walking a tightrope because his production is so power dependent. Uh, France didn't have a great year. I, I have more faith in him to bounce back than I do in Suarez to return to like his 2022 form. Um, you know, I mean, again, I, I wouldn't say that those are as big of a problem as second base or a corner outfield spot. But if they found a taker for France and then brought in someone like Jamer Condelario to play the corners, uh, I think that's workable. Sure. Okay, and we got a question here from Manuel, who wants to know, where will Cody Bellinger sign and for how much? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> we have a number for Bellinger that I don't want to give away yet because we could still change it before we publish the top 50. And even if we don't change it, you know, want to preserve some kind of suspense for the top 50. But it makes Brandon Nimmo at eight years and $162 million look like a bargain if Bellinger comes close to what we think he's going to get. Uh, as far as the teams that make sense to me, I mean, we just talked about the Mariners, but they could do this and move Bellinger to a corner. Uh, they have the payroll space to accommodate it. But to me, I think the biggest fits are both the Yankees and Giants. Those are the two that I would put kind of head and shoulders above the rest as teams that need an impact position player, could use help in the outfield, um, you know, particularly in the Yankees case. And Bellinger just I think fits very well in both of those spots. Okay, that is all the time that we have for this week's episode of the MLB Trade Rumors podcast. 
enjoy the World Series and then head to MLBTradeRumors.com to check out all the off-season content. Should be an exciting winter of deals, and you know we're going to be covering all of that. So go there and uh, sign up for the newsletter to get all the news sent straight to your email or sign up for the front office package, which gets the ads off the website and you get extra content that nobody else gets, such as our preseason predictions that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. So do all of that and get all the MLB Trade Rumors goodness, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to visit MLBTradeRumors.com and follow us on Twitter at MLBTradeRumors.com. 